Am I on? Good, thank you. Hear it? It's good to see everybody here today. I'm Randy, your associate pastor. Uh, David is, I think, in route, if he's not already, down to Corpus in prep for the uh, youth mission trip coming up. So <clears throat> pray for David and the, uh, the adults that are assisting <clears throat> in the youth mission trip this week. Right, Josh? Amen. Amen. So a couple things before we get started. <clears throat> Several of us went to annual conference this past week. Uh, which is the annual conference of the Central Texas Conference, for which we are a part of in, here in the South District. Rockbridge won an award, and how many know who this is? John Wesley, that's right, Tavon. This is the coveted John Wesley bobblehead. Now, uh, people, you have to guard this when you're at conference and you get one of these because people really want this. And so... Rockbridge won an award for the bridge uh, service that we have on Wednesdays, which helps, yeah, the bridge, which creates a new space for us, for people to come worship in a different way that they might not make it here on Sundays. So, the coveted John Wesley bobblehead, and David, if you're listening, uh, hopefully it doesn't make it to Acton, but if you do miss it, come talk to me. Amen. So uh, uh, I failed to mention along with that comes a $1,000 uh, award, which uh, will come in handy with the next thing that we obligated Rockbridge to. How many of you knew that uh, the Moorville United Methodist Church burned to the ground in February? Were you all aware of that at all? Well, that happened. That's up in central Central District, and it's in, I think, around the town of Mart, which is just east of Waco. Anyway, the district superintendent made a plea for the conference to donate for the rebuilding of that sanctuary because the insurance didn't quite cover the amount that they needed. So we started with a meager $9,000 early in the week. And by the time that was over, we're almost at $200,000 in donation. <laughs> yes. And that's to rebuild that historic sanctuary that burned down. And the important part of that is that Rockbridge also agreed to donate 2000 of that total, 200000 So any who feel led to... Donate to that cause, please feel free to do so. So, other than that, we're glad you're here today on Father's Day. We've already been recognized once, and for those who are online, we're happy you are joining us. I'd like to pause just a moment, and let's open with a word of prayer. Holy God, we come to you today, praising you for who you are and for the Father that you are to us. We praise you for the fathers that love us, for those that don't. We pray reconciliation. Father, we pray for those who've gone before us, that we would keep their memories in our hearts. We pray, Lord, for those who have stood in the gap to be the father to the fatherless, for those who have adopted us. 
We pray for those who want to be fathers and for those who have lost children long before they should have. Father, today we pray that you would speak to us and the words of my mouth might be pleasing to you and the meditations of all our hearts would be according to your will and your purpose that you work in and through our lives today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. How many, how many of you were in track at any point in your high school or college career? Several of you. Good. It may surprise you. I, too, was a track person in junior high, but not a track star, you would say. <laughs> in Cleburne, we had, uh, if anybody came out for any sport, we were happy. And so the coach was happy that... I said, yes, I will come help you in track. And so I tried many events. Notice I said tried. Pole vault, I thought, well, that'd be fun. But you have to have weight to bend that pole, right? And if you, all you can do is reach and put it in the pit and then kind of go across, then that's not the, the, the way, right? Hurdles, I just thought, what's the point of hurdles? Run and jump on, you know, that's just craziness. So... 100-yard dash kind of seemed to be attractive, but then the relay seemed attractive. How many did relay? Several, yes. So you know when I say there is a transition zone. It's about 65 feet or so for which you have to be in perfect sync with your person behind you. They have to put their hand up at just the right time when you give the command, whatever that command is. Now, if the thumb is down, what's going to happen? Or if their thumb is up, what's going to happen? Or if you're running too close together or you start too fast and they're too slow. Think of all the things that can happen in this transition zone. Several I've seen are not good. And these are by professional athletes, Olympians, college. Uh, There's all kinds of things that can happen in the transition zone. But that's the most important part of a relay, isn't it? Because the goal is to get... That little baton, we call it, all the way around by four different people without any violations of getting out of your lane. Uh, I've seen all kinds of things that when people say hand and it's the wrong guy, it's the other guy's neighbors, like, no, not. Anyway, you get get the picture. And so transition zones, what I want to talk about today. This is the time as parents as fathers that we have with our kids what might be the transition zone do you think that we can have the most influence on our kids I'll start with zero to what age 18 that's a good one trying to get them through high school right Bob and so zero to 18 is a good transition tone for which uh, zone for which time we can have the most influence hopefully on our kids So, what does God have to say about transitions in Scripture? We're going to go to Psalms today. And uh, if you understand Psalms, it's one of the books of the Bible, but it has 150 Psalms in it. Now, what are Psalms for you, somebody may ask, if you're not familiar with a Psalm? Psalms were written by, oh, four or five different people. David wrote over 50 of them. Uh, over 50 of them are anonymous. 
There's a, uh, Solomon wrote a couple, and there's a guy named Asaph that wrote about a dozen. We're going to talk about one of his today. Now, Psalms were written by people that had difficulties in their lives, just like we do. They were putting pen to paper, pleading to God for help in times of uh, difficulty in their lives. They were confessing sin sometimes. They were praising God in, in many of the Psalms. And when they praised God, they would praise Him in song very often. Psalm 78 was one of those Psalms. Now, Psalm 78 is it's a pretty lengthy Psalm, and I'd encourage you to read it all. But Psalm 78 is kind of an instructional psalm that we'll talk about. And it was talking about God's historical acts as as he redeemed the people from Israel. And in that psalm, he was saying that they had forgotten some of these things for which he was blessing them for. And if you remember the story of the Israelites, they were slaves for over 400 years in Egypt to Pharaoh. Moses got involved, reluctantly, I would say. But through time, if you recall, the plagues, and then the Red Sea parted, and then they were free. And then they started to complain. They didn't like the bread, they didn't like the manna, they didn't like whatever. And so they, if you remember that story, that's what Psalm 78 is talking about in the latter part. Uh, they failed to, to understand the wonders of God. They lied to God. They tried to manipulate him. Um, They even uh, tried to flatter God after they had tried to manipulate God. Hopefully that doesn't describe any of us here today. As we look at Psalm 78, Let's, uh, let's read Psalm 78, please. 1 through 8 would be our text for today. Listen, my people, to my teaching. Tilt your ears toward the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a proverb. I'll declare riddles from days long gone, ones that we heard and learned about, ones that our ancestors told us. We won't hide them from their descendants, and we'll tell the next generation All about the praise due the Lord and his strength, the wondrous works God has done. He established a law for Jacob and set up instruction for Israel, ordering our ancestors to teach them to their children. This is so that the next generation and children not yet yet born will know these things and so they can rise up and tell their children to put their hope in God. Never forgetting God's deeds, but keeping God's commandments so that they won't become like their ancestors. A rebellious, stubborn generation, a generation whose heart wasn't set firm and whose spirit wasn't faithful to God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Spirit of God. Let's look at this psalm in a little more in depth. Verses 1 through 3. What's he saying here? Has, has your mom or dad kids ever said, listen to me, look, look at me in the eye, pay attention, lean forward, because what I'm about to tell you is extremely important. 
This implies and even expects obedience in what you're going to hear. And so they're saying here that they're going to tell these parables from long ago, which is ancestors. This is what I was talking about earlier. The things that their, their parents, their forefathers had done. They were redeemed, set free. Then they were rebellious, had divided hearts. And so this is saying, listen to me, I'm going to tell you these stories. So verses uh, 1 through 3, that's what's telling us. And that's how we learn our family history, isn't it? Our own genealogy. Any of you that are into genealogy, it's fun to know. I know Laurie's big into that and others may be. I'd like to see who was our ancestors. What did they do perhaps? How did we get to where we are today? So let's go to verse 4. Verse 4 says, we won't hide them from their descendants. We'll tell the next generation all about the praise due the Lord and his strength. The wondrous works God has done. So verse 4 is saying, don't hide this good news from your kids. It says the next generation must know this good news. So don't hold back. Don't keep it from them. Don't neglect to share this good news. So we must pass the faith along. That's what it's saying, isn't it? Pass the faith along to your kids, to the next generations. Because they, they have the right to know what God has commanded. So if we pass the faith, then what are we teaching these, our kids when we pass the faith? We're ta- Very often, if you're, if you're honest with yourself and your kids, you're telling them about your past failures, which is not easy to do. You may tell them about answered prayers or even unanswered prayers or even a time when you were rebellious or a time when you had a divided heart or perhaps unfaithful to God and maybe tried to make a deal with him for something, for whatever it is you were trying to to get done. So teach God to our kids. And one important thing that, didn't, that they weren't aware of during this time is one of the more important things we can teach our kids about passing the faith is the completed work of Christ on the cross and what it means to us. So this is part of passing the faith. Our next generations, our kids deserve to hear about God and these mighty works. So let's go to verses 5 and 6. Verse 5 and 6, he established the law. That's the book of God, the word. And he set up instruction and he ordered our ancestors to teach them to their children so that the next generation and those not yet born will know these things. So they too can rise up and tell their children. So the word of God is not only a book of love, but it has commandments. It has warnings. It has promises. And as stewards of the word, it is up to us. You know, when you talk about stewardship, stewardship means something you don't own. Like our money, like the lands that we manage, we don't own that. We manage it during our season of life here. We manage it in such a way that we pass it on. That's the same way I see the word of God. We need to be stewards of this word, pass it on to our kids. In fact, in Deuteronomy... 6 verses 6 through 7 the word tells us these words that I'm commanding you today must always be on your minds recite them to your children 
talk about them when you're sitting around your house and when you're out and about, when you're lying down and when you're getting up. So when is it that we should talk to, this, to our kids about the Word of God? All the time. Every chance you get. And I can tell you, my poor girls got uh, that in spades sometimes. Um, so, this is what Deuteronomy tells us as well. Let's move to verse 7 and 8. So we're to put their hope in God, never forgetting God's deeds, but keeping God's commandments so they won't become like their ancestors. A rebellious, stubborn generation whose heart wasn't set firm and whose spirit wasn't faithful to God. Have you ever been around anybody who's double-minded is the word used in the New Testament? They're confused about matters of faith. They go this way for a while, then they go that way for a while. That's what they're saying here is don't be, be divided in your faith. And for the Israelites, what, were, what was Asaph trying to say? He was saying don't be like your ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, divided, unsettled heart, unfaithful, ungrateful spirit. Uh, in fact, they selectively forgot. Bless you. They selectively forgot what God had done for them. <clears throat> and God is gracious, thankfully, that even in our ungratefulness, He still loves us. So for us, we're to keep His commands. This helps us understand and our kids understand that the community of faith is so important. What is it that we fall back on if we don't have each other? and a community of faith in times of difficulty. So we teach them about our past failures, again, about answered prayer or unanswered prayer, and what it means to trust God in all ways of life. So how do you know when your kids are getting it? How does it show up in your kids that you might see that they're starting to get an idea of what trusting God, having hope in God, the hope and the love of reconciliation that is offered through Christ. How do you know when they get it? I can't talk about Father's Day without talking about my two grandsons. So I'll tell you one story that uh, tells me that they're starting to get it. Our youngest is named Cole. One day, Laura and I were in the truck at College Station driving, I guess taking him home, and just as kids do... They're very honest and very random. Just suddenly from the back seat, he said, you know, Jesus died on the cross for us. And he was raised from the dead for us. And it's like, pull the truck over. <laughs> Our four-year-old grandson is getting it. Now, whether he understands it, but he's saying the words. How many of us wouldn't like our neighbors to say that very sentence to us, that they understand it, that they're getting it? So I was really concerned that he was going to ask how that happened. But he didn't, thankfully. <laughs> Next little story is from Kate, our oldest. We found ourselves on, a, uh, on a, an excursion and at one of our last trips. And Kate and I were over at the playground. And as I tend to do, talk to people that I encounter. And this young man, just the same age... 
as Cade was there. And as you always try to establish some common thread of your background or where you live or things you might know about. And so I asked this young man where he lived and he said, oh, Villa. Well, I know the pastor at the United Methodist in Ovilla, and so you always say, well, oh, where do you go to church? He said, oh, well, we don't. Well, Cade heard that, and he jumped into Cade mode and said, well, why not? He said, well, my dad just won't get up early enough to take us. So as kids are very frank, Cade says, well, tell your dad to get up early and take you to church. Uh, and I'm standing there listening and watching this poor young man get uh, little Kate evangelizing. <laughs> and then Kate ended it with this. He said, my granddad is a preacher. And just stood back. It's like, oh man, poor young man. He, he's here to have a, have a great day on his birthday at this island. How do you know your kids are getting it? These are ways. And it blesses my heart to know that. So what does that tell me? It tells me that Amber, our oldest daughter, and and Brent, our son-in-law, are getting them into the Word. They're exposing them to communities of faith. They are living out the Word. And and when your kids are are exposed to these type things and come up with these kinds of of, uh, words and actions, you know, it's like, what more could you do? But that's a great foundation to move forward. So if we don't teach our kids what God has done for us, we're depriving our kids of what I believe is their spiritual heritage and their right to know the good news and the plan of salvation that's clearly in Scripture. So some of you, I know, maybe your father wasn't the best. Maybe he wasn't that good at sharing faith. And I get it, sometimes they can't, or maybe they don't have faith to share. You can't give away what you don't have, right? <clears throat> but this is still a critical time. Remember the transition zone? Zero to what did we decide, 18? I submit it could be longer than that because God's provenient grace and the Holy Spirit works in all of us, whether we've made a decision for Christ at the age of 18 or beyond, because many still do. So this is a critical time of influence where the Holy Spirit is working that we can significantly influence our kids for the cause of Christ. In John 17, and I love this prayer, that Jesus prayed over his disciples. And he was praying for them. And he was also praying for all who believe in him because of their word. Who would that be? Us. We are directly linked to that prayer through those apostles to this very day. And I would ask you, if you're a Christian, somebody nurtured you in your faith. Whether it was your father, your parents, a coach or a teacher or or a grandfather, or just somebody, even mothers that stand in the gap when fathers are absent. Somebody nurtured you in your faith. And they shared their faith so you might come to know Christ and what he did for you. So here's my question. What does your family tree of faith look like? 
We talk about genealogy. Your family tree of faith. You should be able to trace that back to someone who told you about Christ. Maybe yesterday, maybe many years ago. Who is in your lineage of faith and who told you about Christ and his love? Here's the thing that haunts me. What happens if we skip a generation and don't tell our kids this good news? Who is at risk? What is at risk? First is the church. The church would be at risk. And secondarily is our kids would be at risk in their eternal destiny because they didn't know. Because we didn't tell them. So my question here is, are you passing the faith? Are you passing the faith? And I'll end, and Joy's not in here yet, but at the end of service, we're going to be giving everybody something. And these two crosses, one time Cade was uh, my oldest grandson. He saw me empty my pockets, and I had a cross in there. And this is the cross that my dad carried that he'd given me. Cade said, can I have it? And I said, now what do you do to that? Of course, I immediately said, absolutely. And so the next time I saw him, he gave me a, another cross to replace it. And then he said, oh, here's a little one for Cole also. So I carry these with me. And as we leave service today, I want everyone that wants one to pick up a cross, a little pocket cross for you. And if you know others that might need one as well, we have 200 of them. So I don't want any to be remaining at the end of service. So Joy will come in with the kids here in a moment and we'll figure out how to get you your own pocket cross to help you be reminded of the generational need and requirement for us to pass the faith, please. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.